All right, so <clears throat> this, this chapter was covering one more reason uh, that Tice is bringing up that we still don't evangelize. We covered last time in chapter 2 about we do it for the glory of Christ, the glory of God. We um, do it because we love our neighbor. We do it because we want them to look forward to their celestial future, and we, want, we do not want to see people going to hell. Those are some reasons that we do it. We don't do it. Um, when those things are not in place. But there was one more thing that Tice wanted to point out specifically in chapter 3 as to why we don't witness. Um, so let's go through some of these questions here. Do you remember, number one, times when you know you should have witnessed to somebody, but you chose not to? I mean, I remember times like that. We should. We probably, I mean... You wouldn't say we, I mean, we all have, but I mean, it's not like something that we should be doing, but I think that most of us in here can relate to that. Um, and have you ever thought through a time when there was a witnessing opportunity and you chose not to do it? I remember one time specifically, um, this has bothered me for years, but there was a time when I was at a local park at a church function or something. I can't remember what we were doing. But they had a, a tram that drove around the park, and I was sitting in one of the seats behind some some teenage girls, and I was o- overhearing their conversation. I don't know what exactly they were talking about. Um, not anything spiritual, but one of the girls just exclaimed, What? You can't be born again. How could you be born again? <laughs> it's just like, Oh, there's an opportunity. That's like straight out of John chapter 3. <laughs> you know? But I didn't say anything because I was afraid. <clears throat> I uh, was scared to say something to a complete stranger that I didn't know. These teenage girls, they were probably would probably just whatever, you're weird, <laughs> stop talking to us, <laughs> Think, you know, whatever. But nevertheless, I, so I, for over the years, I saw that as a prime opportunity where, I mean, the conversation was practically started for me, but I didn't pick it up when perhaps I should have. Um, and for me, I was afraid. I didn't want to get it, start an awkward conversation. Like, I don't know you, you don't know me. I was afraid of breaking my inner peace, <laughs> the awkward conversation that would have had. Um, I don't know how to start this conversation. All these, all these things aided in my fear. I don't know how to do this. How am I supposed to start this without it being weird? What are, there, what, what are some other reasons perhaps that you've, perhaps you've had experiences like that in your life where coulda, woulda, shoulda, but didn't, and perhaps you thought about it afterwards and Saw why. What are some reasons why we haven't shared when the opportunity was right in front of our face? If someone on the outside looks intimidating. Yeah, they look intimidating. Right. Maybe it's just a mean person or or how whatever we might be intimidated. Different personalities are intimidated by different things. I don't usually have a easy time striking up conversation with what we would call alpha males. I don't usually get along with alpha males because I'm not one, and our personalities are very different. So I don't like talking to them a lot. <laughs> um, but there are different types of people that different types of people don't get along with that well. Maybe they're intimidating to us. What else? They're lots of, they'll just flat turn away from you. Yeah. Like the, 
Right, right. Uh, blow you off. Right. And what are, what are some of these reasons why we don't even try in the first place? It's like I can understand trying to start, start this conversation and being rejected, but what are some reasons why we don't even try, even though the opportunity is right there? I, I was thinking of a situation that comes to my mind. I remember this one older lady. I thought this would be a good opportunity to talk to her. And right off the grid, she goes, there's two things I don't talk about. Religion and politics. <laughs> 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 well, it's like you're reading my mind. <laughs> yep. And then starting to talk about Jesus would have made things really interesting. <laughs> now, I know you said you don't like talking about this, but I do. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else comes to your mind? What are some reasons, perhaps? Sometimes it's even harder to talk to people that you know yeah. or somebody in your family. Right. Maybe because you're afraid they're going to make fun of you, mm-hmm. you're going to make you crazy. Right. So you don't want yeah. to start the conversation. Yeah. It's easier, to, it's easier to start an awkward conversation with somebody where there's no bridge to burn. <clears throat> than it is with a family member where there are bridges to burn. <laughs> if that conversation goes poorly, they may never talk to you again. And their family, how are things going to be at Thanksgiving? And Yeah, and people, I've heard it said, oh, the family should be the easiest people to talk to because they're always there, you know each other. And sometimes that's the problem. We know each other. <laughs> um, but I, I would agree that sometimes family is the hardest group of people to talk to. One thing I won't talk to you about is religion and politics. Yeah, right. That's just what they tell us. Yeah. Mhm. We'll talk about sports. We'll talk about, you know, whatever. But talk about hunting and fishing and the kids. But yeah. And why is it? Why do you think people don't want to talk about religion and politics? Because they don't know how to answer. They don't. They don't know how to provide the answer. They don't know how to back themselves up when they share an opinion. And some people just don't like the big C word. You know what the C word might be? The confrontation, when religion and politics bring up the most opportunities um, to argue. I was going to say, some people just don't like to argue. Yeah, right. Some people just don't like the confrontation that resides within That's this like divisive subjects. They think they'll, they'll be defeated, so they don't want to lose. Mm-hmm. Right. And some people like to just hold to their opinions, even though they don't really have a whole lot of substance behind them. But they want to have their opinions anyway. And they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to be challenged. And we're the same way, right? You know, we we don't bring it up perhaps because we don't like talking about our religion because we don't know how to back ourselves up. We don't know what we don't. What if they ask a hard question? What am I supposed to say? I don't know. I can't say I don't know. <laughs> Why not? Why can't we say I don't know? Why can't we say I don't know? But I'll look that up. I'll look into that. I mean, I was talking with a Catholic lady that I used to work with. She, she was humble enough to say, I don't know, but I'm going to go talk to my priest about it. And she did. She came back with a little pamphlet of, of scripture passages categorized by subject as to why they believe in purgatory. Why do they believe in praying to Mary? Why do they believe, you know, all these types of things. And she brought that back to me. She didn't know the answer off the top of her head, but she told me she'd find out. So she did. Why can't we do that? She, pride. Yeah. We feel like if we don't have an answer, well, then we just lost the argument. Um, it's, we might look bad. yeah, we might look bad. They're going to think we're, we're stupid or silly or they're not going to respect us. We don't want to lose respect. 
by not being able to answer some questions that they might have. Go ahead. Um, I was just reminded because he was talking about how um, he wanted to be just respected and looked about how looked on by his grandma as just Mm -hmm. not a weirdo or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) But reading in Jeremiah, what I was reading about, he was saying, you know, that He's totally outcast and shamed and hunted down. And, um, like, basically, he had all of this shame and everyone making fun of him and nobody believing him and people actively working against him. And yet he's a prophet of God, you know? And it's just like, wasn't some, if that's the life that Jeremiah was called to, you know, why do we care so much that things make sense for our lives? Like, why you know, that we have to have yeah. all the answers and that we have to be respected by our neighbors in order to bring them the truth? And I just think that, for me, that respectability is probably, like, one of my biggest hindrances. Yeah. Like, pride, you know? Like mm-hmm. I just want my neighbor to think that we're just, like, this really nice family who loves right. God. Not that she has to be involved in right. any way. And that reminds me... I think it was Isaiah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but God told Isaiah to do something really embarrassing for three years to prophesy to the people. Does anybody remember what that might have been? If you remember a story that a prophet had to do that was really embarrassing for three whole years? He wasn't allowed to wear any clothes. He had to live naked for three years in the city, prophesying to the people that God was going to strip them bare. And he would, God told him to be a public example of being stripped bare to the people for three whole years so that the people might wake up to their, their need to repent. Now, God's not, thankfully, I haven't heard God telling me to do that. But God's not concerned about your honor, <laughs> is he? He wasn't concerned about Isaiah's honor. He's concerned about his word. He's concerned about the people repenting and coming back to him. But we are very concerned about our honor, aren't we? Would we be willing if the Lord, if God like visibly came down into this room, like we, want, we would all be shocked and awed. <laughs> and he said, okay, everybody, go out into your towns naked <laughs> and tell people about Jesus. If God was physically in front of us, would we still even obey? Because that's so embarrassing. <laughs> You get arrested, right? Right? And then you prophesy in your jail cell. (laughs) You know, but like, are we willing to do whatever it is God wants us to do, even if it's embarrassing? Even if it takes shame away, gives us shame, takes away honor from us. Because we happen to say something extremely divisive to a family member or a friend that broke a really good relationship that we used to enjoy, and now that relationship is hindered because we brought up this divisive subject. And for them, those are some of those reasons why we don't witness. Number two, do we ever hide behind the assumption that somebody is probably saved? 
like a family member, perhaps. Do you know, hey, do you know if so-and-so is saved? No, probably. They go to church. They go to this church down the street. But how many, but doesn't, isn't it scriptural that God's word should be on our lips when we're conversing with anybody? We should be so, I can't remember the verse off the top of my head, but just the idea that we should be so seeped in love for Christ that we can't help but to speak it. Whether it's here at church, whether it's at the supermarket, whether it's at the restaurant, whenever somebody's with us, oh, I just praise the Lord for his work in my life, or whatever it is. Jesus has been so good, his grace is sufficient. How are you doing today? Not so well, but God's grace is sufficient. He will take care of me. Things like this should always be on our tongue so that these conversations come up. People know that we're Christians, and then as we're conversing and seeing how they react to our Christian talk, not saying we should all be speaking Christianese, if you've ever heard that before, but as we see people, oh, oh, well, that's kind of awkward. Well, maybe they're not saved, even though they might go to church. If they're truly a part of the body of Christ, they should, that should be welcome to them. Oh, somebody starts talking about Jesus. Oh, I welcome that. I want to be a part of that talk because I too am in love with Jesus. But if we're in love with Jesus, we're talking about him. And when we're talking about him, other people, we get to see how they react. If they claim to be a Christian, but they kind of stray away from any of this Christian talk, maybe they're not saved after all. Maybe we need to talk about that further. Hey, I noticed that you don't really like talking interacting with me about Jesus, but yet you go to this church down the street. Why is that? And that's a way to bring that up, to make it more personal rather than this cold call. You know, the cold call versus, you know, when, as a real estate agent, we always, I always hated the cold calls. You know, they felt worthless to me. But those, those warm calls or those hot calls are those relationships that I already have. The hot calls are the people that I call who are, I've had a relationship I, or I know that they're selling their house or uh, my mother, my father, my sister, my friend, my neighbor. Those are hot calls. People I already have interactions with that are more likely to interact with me about real estate. The cold calls are just like, I'm just pulling out the phone book, calling, you know, seeing if anybody happens to be selling their house. You know, most of those fall to the ground and are nothing. But like when we're talking with our friends and our families, those are hot calls. Where we're just, we don't even have to say, hey, are you saved? But just talk about God's grace in your life and see how they respond to it. How are they going to interact with that? If they're very hesitant, well, then maybe that's somebody you need to push a little bit more. Say, hey, I don't remember ever knowing about your salvation experience. Could you tell, talk to me? Do you know Jesus? How did you come to know Jesus? I you know, I go to church. Okay, red lights. Now we know where the conversation needs to go. So there are some ways of doing this, but a lot of it starts with you and me just keeping Jesus on our tongue, keeping him in our mouth, whoever it is we're interacting with. You know, there are some times where you need to be in the front, in their face. Do you know Jesus? Do you want to be saved? But there are some times where it's simply enough to just talk about how he's been good to you and then see how they react, see how they engage or hesitate at that conversation. Then you can learn from that to see how you need to approach them. And the importance of the relationship. Mm-hmm. That it might not be immediate, but it's as them watching and growing and the relationship build. Right. Being able to see Christ actually working. Right. 
And then the more you keep him on your tongue, the more people know that he's going to be on your tongue, the more naturally you can go a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper in how you talk about Jesus with these people. People aren't in our lives as an accident. Right. Yep. You're right. And when we see the people in our lives as just kind of there, then we're less likely to think, oh, I should witness to them. We like to do, well, we just need to leave each other be. Do your own thing. Live your own life. Let them be. But, like Judy said, if we believe that God is sovereign, then we should actually act like God is sovereign. If God has this person in our life, then perhaps we need to be a little bit more deliberate about being a light to them. And we shouldn't hide behind the assumption that somebody is just probably saved. You know, I hope they are. Well, maybe we should get a little bit more involved in that conversation with that person. But that's the, that's the easiest thing to say about family, right? No, they probably are. <laughs> They're probably saved. I mean, we grew up going to church together. They probably are. Number three. What age-old problem keeps us from doing what is clearly to be a regular part of a Christian's life? Which it would be evangelism. That's page 42. Idolatry. Idolatry. <clears throat> Idolatry is the age-old problem that keeps us from doing what is supposed to be a clear and regular part of a Christian's life. Now, what is an idol? And what does it mean to worship an idol? Okay, start with the first one. What's an idol? Something you idolize, okay. <laughs> Something, anything that takes place and takes place in front of God. Something you fear more than you fear God. Something you give respect to more than you respect God. Something you obey more than you obey God. Quite often, the word that's translated idols is also explained to be the same as vanity. Yeah. It's emptiness. Right, and those two concepts would go together. There's nothing to it, yeah. right? I mean, back in the day, we don't really worship idols today the same, well, in our culture anyway. People still have the golden idols and things like that. Um, but us, just talking about our culture here in Waverly, we don't have idols on our shelf, per se, little golden statues that we kneel before three times a day and things like that. We worship idols differently. Our idols are a little bit more abstract, which means they're easier to justify because it's harder to pinpoint that's an idol. If there's a golden face that you're kneeling to three times a day, it's easy to determine that that's an idol. But ours are more abstract. So it's harder for us to see them unless it's pointed out. Are you going to say something? I thought you were going well, to say I just something. Think it's something that holds sway over your life. You yeah. Something that you. Subjugating yourself to it. Right. In one way, it determines how you make decisions. Right? What are some common Americanized idols that you can think of? Things that people give precedent over God? Cars. Sports. Cars. Stock market. Stock market. 
Computers. Computers, yeah. House. House. Thanks. Just things, stuff. Membership. Security. Yeah. So what? Security. Security and control. Security and control. Right. Things that I think are going to fulfill me, right? Remember when Jeremiah was talking about you have turned your back on the fountain of living waters and are trying to drink from broken cisterns. Something that you think is going, they're idols, they thought were going to satisfy their needs. When the Lord, was, the Lord alone wished to satisfy their needs, could satisfy their needs. But the people were straight seeking after the emptiness of idols to satisfy their needs, to go before them in battle, to provide for them. That's what Baal was. Baal was the god of fertility. The rain came down from Baal to water and fertilize the ground. So he was the god of rain, the god of production, the god of um, basically anything that would, was needed to build your life. And that's why he was so popular back in that day, because that was the big thing that everybody wanted, to be successful. And Baal was the god to worship if you wanted to be rich and successful. If that's what you wanted in life, you sought Baal. And then what does Elijah say? If Baal is God, worship him. But if Jehovah is God, or Yahweh, I suppose, back then, then worship him. You've got to pick one. You can't pick both. You can't serve God and mammon. That's precisely that image between God and Baal. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't pick both. You have to pick one. So those are idols, things that we look to for sustenance, for security, for, um, to help us feel like we have a meaningful life, to help us feel uh, like we're doing a good job, things that we think will help us outside of God. In number four, this is a direct quote from number four, from page 43. When we worship an idol, we turn God into a a created thing. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's one way to say it, yeah. A divine waiter. So, the, so both of those would be right answers. The, the answer that I had in mind for this number would be the divine waiter. Now, what do you think the idea behind a divine waiter is? What does a waiter do? He serves you. <laughs> And that's really why the Israelites would turn to idols, because they wanted somebody to serve them, to accomplish something for them. So we can be idol worshipers and worship Jesus Christ. When we approach him, like, I'm going to follow you as long as you're doing something for me. As long as you are doing good for me, I will follow you. But if you don't serve me, then I'm not going to follow you. So the idolatry in our heart will approach even Jesus and turn him into a divine waiter who just waits on your every need, making sure you're doing well. Well, Jesus, you're not going to get much of a tip today because I'm just miserable. You didn't fulfill your promise to make me happy, healthy, and wealthy. So I guess I'm just going to kind of do my own thing from now on. You know, there's, I haven't, you know, if, you talk to, if you've talked to any number of atheists in your life, most of the atheists you'll talk to decided to turn their back on God when some tragedy happened in their life and God didn't show up to fix it. And really, if that's, the, if that's the case, they weren't really truly convinced that Jesus is the one true God as much as it is their view of Jesus was, he's just there to wait on me to make my life work. 
That's why I follow him, because he's going to make my life work. That was true of Darwin. Yeah. Lost his daughter. Okay. Yeah, I don't think I know that story. Mm-hmm. So there must be something else then. Right. How could God let this happen? So when we worship an idol, we turn God into a divine waiter. And how does this apply to, I'm going to stop here, but how would this apply to um, witnessing? How in the world would this apply to witnessing, evangelizing, stepping out there? Well, if I talk about Jesus and witness to somebody, why don't they just automatically accept it? Mm-hmm. And, it and then it turns it into, it's me. <laughs> yeah. It's not right. really saving that person. It's not what I'm seeing. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. What else? How do, what does idolatry have to do with witnessing? Go ahead. Yeah. Exactly. And that's why, that's why he gives a whole chapter to it. It's a short chapter, but it's all about idolatry because we will serve the thing we love the most, the, thing that, the idol in our life. And idolatry is service. What, go ahead. what I was saying is that would be the idol itself. Yeah. It's all about me, but it's really, it isn't really about God. Right. So. But that's the hard part. Go ahead. And there's one, and we have to also remember that when we're witnessing, we can't make them believe. You know, there's there are some people who will not believe. You can come back to the doctrine of election and things like that, but practically speaking, you can't make somebody believe. They have to come to God on their, you know, in their relationship with God. You cannot establish a relationship with God yourself. Like I can tell you all about how I love my wife, but I can't make anybody else love my wife. That's a relationship that somebody else has to have. Hopefully not in the same way I love my wife. <laughs> but I can tell you all the reasons why she's lovable <laughs> and amazing, but you have to come to find those things on your own if you're going to have a relationship with her too. You know. So when we're witnessing, we can tell these people everything we know that we love about God and everything that He has done for us. At the end of the day, they're going to have to choose to submit to that themselves. And we can't make that happen, no matter how good we are at it. But then, like, so now we just sit there and we watch volumes and things. Yeah. And it's not necessarily that you just sit there, because... And I just not mm-hmm. doing I mean, I don't want to make them angry and hate it. I think the most powerful thing is prayer. Yes, tonight. 
spirit goes where we cannot. And that's their soul. We can't change their mind. I have another person in my mind too. And the same thing goes through my mind. But you can't you can't force somebody but the I've heard it said that the Lord is he gets all the glory when it's somebody that with heart we think can't be won. He gets the ultimate glory from that. Mm -hmm. But it's hard. Yeah. But everything is the same passing that time is gone. And we also can remember that there's a time to plant a seed and there's also a time to water a seed. So just because the seed is planted doesn't mean it doesn't need water. You know, sometimes the ground is just dry and it needs more watering than other ground. And sometimes I think, along the thoughts of your thinking, sometimes I just start praying, help Christians be faithful. Mm -hmm. Because it may be somebody else, maybe you've been the water earth. Or maybe sometimes it doesn't even appear that way. Mm -hmm. But you never know if somebody's being faithful, how the Lord can use something that seems so insignificant that really speaks to them. So right. I think we may be the answer to somebody's prayer of, Lord, just help us to be faithful. Yeah. And that's the important thing. It's like it's, the responsibility is not yours to save people. Mm -hmm. We're simply to point people to the one who can. And we're to be faithful to that. And that's all we can do. And we should be content with that, even though that being content with that doesn't mean we will not grieve when somebody does not receive it. I wasn't meaning necessarily that way. I was sure. that just, I guess, being there, mm -hmm. and if they have questions, they, they know, and... But I feel sometimes like time is wasted. Does that make sense? More yeah. Of what I'm trying to say. Not that, I mean, it just is time is passing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes a relationship can feel that way, and I can understand that. I've been there too. <laughs> you know. But we can make the most of our time, and you know, when you're, I don't know what the relationship is that you have with these different people, but you're seeking the kingdom of God first and how you're doing this, sometimes sitting down and watching the ball game with them is seeking the kingdom. Because if you want them to relate to you on your terms, sometimes we have to relate to them on theirs. And then also, it kind of goes into your message this morning. If we're worrying and fretting about it, that's not pleasing the Lord either. Mm -hmm. So what would please him is take the word to prayer, turn it into a prayer, and just keep praying for him. Yeah. we got to put, why does the Lord tell us to pray? Yeah, because he's the one with the power. <laughs> he's the one with the authority and the power over all of this. The sovereign one. We need him in this. Because he's the one who's going to save and enlighten, breathe his breath upon them. I just trust that he has a plan. He has a plan for these people. He has mm -hmm. a plan for you. And he's not unjust. He's right. thinking of us. And whatever he's doing, it's for his glory. He's not going to sacrifice his glory for anyone or anything. Mm -hmm. Nobody's forgotten. You know, his word is never wasted. Yeah. But you remember who God is in all of it. Or else it's too much pressure for a person. It's too much. Putting us in God's place. Yeah. We don't need it. We 
a hobbit person is going to hear it just right. And if I mess up and make this person angry, he's never going to accept Christ. That doesn't, that's not how it works. Mm -hmm. We don't have that kind of power over a person's soul. Yeah. God can do anything for anyone at any time. And he's the one that can, can change hearts and him alone. And that should comfort us. That mm -hmm. even when we mess up and say the wrong thing, you know, their soul isn't up to Right. Yeah. And we could keep going on and on. And these are, these are some fantastic questions and comments. And if there's something else that you want to add later on, we can certainly talk some more about that. Before yeah. Okay. 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 